events of, uh, through December. We'll pick up on this tonight. I just thought of something. I want to try to, excuse me, I don't normally do this, but I want to try to find something I want to read to you. Uh, it, just, it just occurred to me. So I have a screenshot. Let's see if I can find it. Yep. All right, so you remember we, we were talking about, we were talking about uh, in, the, in, the, in the tribulation, the number of deaths. And when you relate it to the numbers today, we've got 8 billion people now on the face of the earth. And we looked at the, the, the when you add up the, the mass casualties that come during the tribulation period, we, we, it came up to about 4 billion people. So half of the world's population is wiped out. Now, we don't know what that's going to be. We don't know when that time is going to be, if it's in 30 minutes or 30 years. We don't know. I can't imagine it's going to be 30 years. I really can't. I, I just cannot imagine that. But I ran across something that the numbers were, were shocking as I read this. Um, how many of you are familiar with the name Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum? Um, I, I just have to think that this group is going to be very involved in the end time stuff. Listen at what, I'm just going to read part of a book he wrote. It says at least 4 billion useless eaters, it's in parentheses, useless eaters shall be eliminated by the year 2050 by means of limited wars, organized epidemics of fatal rapid-acting diseases and starvation. Energy, food, and water shall be kept at substance levels for the non-elite, starting with the white populations of Western Europe and North America and then spreading to other races. The population of Canada, Western Europe, and the United States will be decimated more rapidly than any other continents until the world's population reaches a manageable level of 1 billion, of which 500 million will consist of Chinese and Japanese races selected because they are people who have been uh, regimented for centuries and who are accustomed to obeying authority without question. Interesting. Interesting, the stuff that's, that's you, you go, it's, you know, the, the, the reality is, reality is stranger than fiction, isn't it? The, the, the reality of what we see. But that, this is where we're heading. This is where we're heading as we study this. So I was telling, I think I was telling Cliff tonight, um, I'm going to be ready to be done with Revelation. That the more I dig in this, the, the more I don't know. Okay, so I told y'all when we started this, please don't chew me out and fuss me out because uh, I'm probably wrong in everything uh, as I'm trying to teach this. But, you know, you read 10 guys and you get 15 opinions. I mean, that's what you have. I've read guys who were talking about something and they contradict themselves, not intentionally, but they'll say this and then they'll come back and say, well, it could be this. So, it's the, the, the guys who are the experts don't even know. So we're, we're just going to continue through this. And tonight we'll just continue. We're here in Revelation 14. We're, we're just putting some more pieces in there, okay? So just some more information. So Revelation 14, if I'm giving this a heading, I'd say uh, looking at the end of the Great Tribulation. We're kind of looking at this. This is, a, this is another one of those parenthetical chapters. So it's not, it, this is what's frustrating about re reading Revelation. You all agree this as you've read it. It's not a linear book. You know, you want to read, I want to read it, I want to read, I want to read it like it's history, because this is future history. But I want to read it as a, uh, you know, I want to read it like a novel. I want to read it like Tim LaHaye wrote it, you know, and, and you, everything's laid out. But that's not the way God's revealed it to us and the way John wrote it, and that's, God, that's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So there's pieces we put together and there's things we don't fully understand. John could not have comprehended what he was seeing 2,000 years ago. There's no way. Imagine 
Imagine the Lord tarries for 2,000 years and the, the technology changes that, that what would happen over 2,000 years and we then see into the future. We wouldn't have a clue. You wouldn't, I mean, you'd be like, you know, there was a, there was a thing like, a, it would look like a this or a that. And if you don't have the, lang- the language for it or the words for it, you're going to put it in the language you have. And that's what we see the challenges John had in what he saw and what he wrote and what God allowed him to write. But we're looking to the end of the Great Tribulation here in, in 14. And God gives us a summary of this chapter. Uh, it gives us a panoramic view of the, event, the events that lie ahead in Revelation. And so in this chapter here, we're going to find six scenes. And they're separate snapshots picturing facts and events around and after the Tribulation period. So as we've already seen, this is the darkest day and the most horrible hour in the history of the world. That's what we're talking about in the Great Tribulation. That, that period there, there's never been a day. And you, you, think, of, you, know, you think of the horrors of, of World War I and World War II. And, and you, you, there's nothing, if you've, when you've watched war movies, I, I love old war movies. I love that. I, I don't love it because of the gore. I just I love the history of it. But when you see that and you imagine being on some of those fields... Uh, in, in World War I, where it was just mud and holes and, and, and it was just death. I mean, you, you just can't imagine that there's life anywhere outside of that. You can, you can imagine that. But it was limited where that was. The rest other places of the world didn't experience any of that. That won't be the case in, in, this, in this time. The whole world is going to be in this. The whole world will feel this and experience this. Um, so inevitably, as we think about this, we, you know, the questions I began to ask are this, you know, how do God's people fare during this period? How do, how do they stand in this time? Could they remain faithful to the Lord through, uh, through, through this and to the end with, with, uh, with the overwhelming odds against them? So how do they handle it? So we're going to see a little bit of that tonight. So the first point would be this, the first, uh, first five verses, I would title it this, the, it's the establishing of the kingdom. So let's read Let's read those, those five verses and then we'll start there. So then I looked and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion and with him 144,000 having his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the voice of many waters and like the voice of a loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. They sang as it were a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. These are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lord wherever he goes. These were redeemed from among men, being firstfruits to God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. So when we see this here, the shepherd who began with 144,000. You remember we talked about the 144,000, right? They were, they were sealed. The 144,000. So the shepherd who began with 144,000 sheep is identified here as the lamb. And notice he doesn't have, at this point, 143,999. He, he has 144,000. He did not lose even one. Not even one through this. He redeemed them. He sealed them and he kept them for the lamb is the great shepherd. And he brought them through the great tribulation. And the Lord Jesus, not the two beasts that we've just finished studying. We're looking at the, 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 uh, uh, the beast and the, uh, uh, the antichrist and the false prophet. These two beasts, um, they don't have the last word. 
God has the last word. Christ has the last word. And so you read here, he says, and then I looked. And so John is still the spectator here. He's still viewing this. And the lamb is the Lord Jesus. Now, Mount Zion already, we're, we're going to start here. and We're going to see. I'm going to just share with you some of the, the, the different views of this. Okay, so Mount Zion, uh, who knows where Mount Zion is? Where is it? Todd? It's Israel, right? So what's that? Right there in Jerusalem. So, so Jeru- Mount Zion is at Jerusalem. But there's debate. And you, you read different commentaries. You read different pastors or whatever, different theologians. And they bait, debate here whether this is actually Jerusalem on earth or if it's a view in heaven. You know, is this Mount Zion somehow representative in heaven? And as you read the passage, you read those first five verses, you read through that, you can actually see where someone would go, oh, with that language there does sound like they're standing in heaven with the Lord. But you read other language, and it sure sounds like they're on earth. I'm going to tell you, I believe they're in Mount Zion on earth. I believe that's where they're standing. That's where I'll I'll stand. That's where I stand. That's where we're going to stand in a couple of weeks, okay? So this opens the millennial kingdom uh, here upon the earth. This is, this is where we're at at that point. So Psalm 2.6 is, Yet I have set my king on his holy hill of Zion. Again, Christ is with 144,000 of which he lost not one. Here is a company of God's people who are saved and sealed and separated and sanctified and they're spotless. And this is an amazing thing when you look at this, this group of people. Now, I'd say this, you know, when we're down, anybody ever get down? Everybody, anybody ever get, you ever get discouraged? You know, sometimes we do. We battle those things. I, just, I battle those things. Um, I, I think we all can. And, and it's key when, when, we, when we find those things. I always want to try to figure out why. You know, I've, I've been neglecting my prayer life. I've, I've been neglecting the Word. Is something going on there? Because that, a lot of time, it will bring that. When we, if, we, if we get away from the Lord, we have unconfessed sin in our lives, something that's going on, it'll grieve the Holy Spirit. It can bring that, that bring us down. And so you want to check in those things. But look, when we're down or discouraged or feeling the pressure of Satan bearing down on us, here's the thing. The living, victorious Christ is there for us. He is available for us. We can turn to him at any moment and he is right there. Amen. You know, that, that, that's the thing. And, and as we go into 2023, uh, I don't know if you if you get any of the social media, you've probably seen that Jay Metzger has put together a thing and he's going to send it out every week with a reading plan. If you want to follow along with that, it'll it'll give you the verses to go throughout the whole year to read. Now, it's a reading plan. There are 5,000 reading plans. So if you want to take that and, and read along and those that want to join in that reading along in the church and we're reading that together, that's fantastic. But I would encourage you, whether you do that reading plan or if you start in Genesis and you're just going to read straight through or if you go, I'm going to read a little here and a little there. I'm going to read three Psalms a day and a, and a proverb a day and I'm going to read something over here every day, whatever, whatever. I'm just encouraging you, read the Word of God. Spend, make this year a year of His Word and spending that time in His Word. And may this be a year that we get to know Him better. Amen? I mean, what a waste if we go through 2023 and at the end of the year, we're, we're flatlined with where we were at the start of the year. Man, I was right here. You know, on a scale of a 1 to a 100, I'm at a 70. And if I'm at 70 at the end of the year, 
that's bad. If I'm less, that's worse. I ought to grow. I ought to grow in my, in my walk with the Lord. I ought to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. That should be our goal. And so there, there's, not a, there's not a greater thing that we could do this year than to draw close to the Lord. And as, as the end draws near, as, as the Lord's return is imminent, and we don't know when that's going to be, we may, not, we may not be here. Is that young man, that young man is alive, and I pray he'll make it, but that young man could have died on that field Monday night. Football all of a sudden didn't mean anything to anybody. One important, because it's not that important. It's a game. It's just a game. Man, how many things in life do we treat as important as football? Oh, it's so important. This is so big. It's so, it's so big and so important until it's not. Our relationship with Christ is all that matters. And when that is right, everything in our life will fall in place in line. Right? Your relationships will be right. If you're right with God, your relationships with other people, you'll get those right. Because when you're right with God, the Holy Spirit, can you can hear from Him. You can... You can discern what he's saying. Man, what happens? We get away from the Lord. We don't hear from the Lord. So now relationships are strained. Maybe, I, maybe I've offended someone and I'm not doing what I need to do there. We need to be walking close with God so we can hear from him. That will be our goal this year. Amen? So I, I see this. You've probably seen this phrase or read it somewhere or heard people say it, but you know, Jesus is the answer. And, and I'd, I'd say this. It certainly depends on what the question is. Right? I mean, you can make the wrong question and then Jesus isn't the answer. But Jesus is the answer to problems for which men are trying to work out solutions by some little old method, some man's wisdom method. We got a whole lot of that in our world today. And, and, and you know, what, what's said is if you follow this little legal system, you can solve the problems of your personal life or your home or your work or your church. And, and, and you know, I, never in history, Never in the history of man has there been a day with so much teaching in all of these areas. Amen? I mean, we got, we got, you want to talk about your work life? You can, re, you can go, go to the bookstore and find 150 books on, on how, to, how to run your business, how to, how, to, how, to lead, how to lead, leadership. Boy, what a big thing that is today. We got all these books on leadership. We got few that really know how to lead well. And uh, um, all these areas... You know, your home, your work, your, your, your church, all of these things. We've got all of these teaching in these areas, and we've never had less victorious living in the daily experience of believers. It's a, it's a struggle. We have Christians, professing Christians all over this country that are struggling day to day in their faith. If they really have it, they're, 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 there's, there's not a victorious living. They're not living victorious. We want to live victorious this year. We want to walk with the Lord. We don't want to struggle the whole year. We want to walk close to Him. And you know what? When we walk close to Him again, it doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter what happens. And you can, you can make it through anything when the Lord's with us. Amen? Amen. And, and, and if, we, if we act like everything's always going to be great, we don't... We don't that, that one heartbeat. Or one heartbeat. I, I always wonder, what's the next phone call? I may be the next phone call. Y'all may be getting a phone call. Pastor, pastor died in his sleep. Pastor, pastor was in a wreck. What, whatever. I mean, that quick. Everything can change. Walk with the Lord. Walk with the Lord. That's the secret to it. You know, you know, the, the real problem today 
is that we don't need a method. We don't need a system. We don't need a seven steps to a better life. We need more Jesus. That's what we need is more Jesus. And we need to know him in a meaningful way, and we need to draw closer to him. And that's, that's what our, our 2023 ought to be about. Verse 2, and I heard a voice from heaven. So here, here again, here, here's John. Not only is he a, a, a spectator in this, he's still listening. He's still hearing what's going on. I heard a voice from heaven like the voice of many waters, and like the voice of, of loud thunder, and I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. Now, I can't imagine, I've heard, you've all heard harps, right? And, and we always have this picture of heaven, the little angel with the wings, and they're playing the harps and stuff, and that's always seemed so cheesy to me, except it's, it's, it's what the Scripture says right here. There's going to there's be harpists in heaven. And can you imagine the beauty of that sound coming from heaven, what that'll be like? The harpists in heaven playing their harps. They sang, as it were, a new song before the throne before the four living creatures and the elders, and no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. Now, when you read these two verses, it's easy to see why some believe the 144,000 are standing in heaven. It's what it, the, the, the context that kind of sounds that way. I, I don't believe that. I do believe they're on the earth. So there's harpers harping in heaven. There's 144,000 singing on earth, and the earth is in tune with heaven. It, it's a, it, can you imagine that? The music that's coming from heaven and the 144,000. How many, what's the most people you've ever heard sing at one time in person? Amway, how many people? Okay, what were you, what were you at? Okay. What, anybody else? What year? McCarthy, McCartney, McCarthy, McCarthy. Yeah, I was asking. I was in Jacksonville for a PK meeting one time, and I think it would have been 90, I think it would have been 90, it was 96. I think it was fall of 96. It was after Ryder Virginia and I got married. So 96. We did get married in 96, didn't we? Okay. So then it was 96. So uh, that was my, yeah. So all those people singing. We were in, uh, we were in the old Georgia Dome. There was probably 60,000 in that dome singing. Uh, most powerful was a, a smaller auditorium that I was in in, in um, uh, Charlotte. Probably sat 30,000, but small, packed like yours. It's incredible, isn't it? Um, the men's voices. If you, I mean, it's incredible. So that's that's eighty thousand. Okay, it's open air. It, it still it's loud. What what song? Do you remember a song they sang? I still remember one of the songs. Ooh, that'd be good. Do you remember Brent? Anybody anybody else heard anything like that? Um, I think it's uh, called A Mighty Fortress. A mighty fortress is our God. All them deep voices. Oh, just give you chills. That's, that's maybe 60, 70, 80,000, 144,000 redeemed of the Lord standing and singing. There's going to be some choir right there. Amen? So 
The scripture says here that no one could learn that song. Now, again, different, different folks have different views of that. Some, some say that no one could, they couldn't get the words. They couldn't understand. They couldn't understand. I don't think it's illegible. I don't think they're singing in tongues and there's no interpreter. I don't think that's the case. I, I think others have said this, that no one could learn that song, meaning they, they couldn't comprehend it. They couldn't fully understand it. You know, some of the, some of the hymns that we have, the old, the old black, the old African hymns, the, some of those, we can sing it, but we don't understand it. Some of those that were written out of pain and anguish, you can sing the words, but you can't really, if you, if you haven't been through maybe what someone's been through, maybe you've read stuff, you know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? So maybe they couldn't, maybe no one could learn the song. Maybe it's, it's words and they just couldn't put it together. But it, maybe they just couldn't comprehend, they couldn't understand it because they've not been through it. They didn't get through what these 144 went through. Verse 4, these are the ones who are not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These were redeemed from among men, being firstfruits to God and to the Lamb. Now, here we learn about the character of this 144,000. Now, the terms not defiled by women and virgins, uh, the word virgins there can be taken in a spiritual or physical sense. Okay, so and there, again, as you, as you read and you study, some will say, well, this is speaking of a literal, this is literally physically, this was, this was, they were virgins, they had not been married, they were virgins, they weren't defiled with women. Others will say, no, 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 it's not the physical, maybe that applies, but this is really in a spiritual sense. I think we can look at both, and I'm going to talk about why it's in both. So the Great Tribulation will be a time of unparalleled suffering. We understand that, right? So the 144,000 who have gone through this, 144,000 who are going to go through this. When the Lord saves them and seals them, they're going to go through this. There has to be, these are abnormal times, right? The, the, the great tribulation, abnormal times. There has to be something that demands an abnormal state by these, these men. It, it, there has to be. And that's why uh, these men are unmarried. Uh, I, was, I was reading and, and studying, someone was writing about talking about going off to war, World War II, and, or any war. But men go off to war. And, you know, when men go off to war, you know, some are married, some are engaged, some return home, some never did. You know, some fathered children they never saw. And, and it's, it's, it's hard, right? That's hard. Regardless of the circumstances, it's hard, whether you're married or not married. A lot of women who had married, uh, you know, wish they had not. Because of the pain and the struggle and the heartache that came with that. Um, others, I mean, you imagine you have children, they never see their father, those different things. There's a lot of things going on there. So during the tribulation, the times are going to be so frightful that it will be wise not to get married. It would just be wise not to have that, to, bring, to, bring up, to be raising a family in that time. 1 Corinthians 7, we just studied that a few weeks ago. Uh, verses 7, these are some things Paul said. Verse 7, he says, For I wish that all men were even as myself, but each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. He's speaking about, you know, I believe Paul was widowed. That's what I believe. I don't know, he may have never married, but I believe Paul was widowed. I don't believe for a second he was divorced. But Paul remained in the state he was in. 
And he says, it's, I, I would wish that everyone would remain as me. And he had a reason for that. Verse 8, but I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I. He was encouraging them. There's a reason why. Look, and he talked about it later on. Well, let's look at this. Verse 32, he says, but I want you to be without care. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he who is married cares about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. And, that's, and that should be, right? Now, it doesn't mean we forget the Lord and neglect the Lord. The Lord should always be first in our life. But there is a pull there. When we, when we marry, we make that decision, men, to be responsible. Man, if you ain't going to be responsible, if you ain't going in this for a lifetime, don't do it. Don't, don't, if, man, if she ain't the one forever, don't do it. You better know going into it. There's too much heartache and pain. Things happen. I understand. But Paul's saying, man, it's better if you not marry because you can focus on the Lord. Verse 35, and this I say for your own profit, not that I may put a leash on you, but for what is proper and that you may serve the Lord without distraction. During that tribulation period, uh, it, will, it would be wise for someone not to be married with everything that's going on. So God, uh, when you go back to Jeremiah 16, we see where God forbade Jer Jeremiah to marry. Uh, verse six, uh, chapter, uh, Jeremiah 16, verse 1 says, The word of the Lord also came to me, saying, You shall not take a wife, nor shall you have sons and daughters in this place. For thus says the Lord concerning the sons and daughters who are born in this place, and concerning their mothers who bore them, and their fathers who begot them in this land. Verse 4, They shall die gruesome deaths. They shall not be lamented, nor shall they be buried. But they shall be like refuse on the face of the earth. They shall be consumed by the sword and by famine, and their corpses shall be meat for the birds of heaven and for the beast of the earth. The Lord told Jeremiah, look, with what's coming, you're not going to marry. It wouldn't be fair, Jeremiah, with what I'm going to put you through and take you through and what you're going to go through for you to take a wife into that and to take a family into that. And we, we don't tend to think that way. But God, God said that here. Jesus mentioned those who would be mothers during the Great Tribulation. Matthew 24, 19, he says, But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days because it is just going to be an, an, a difficult, difficult time. It's hard enough if you're fighting for your life and now you're, you, you've got a, a, a child. Can you imagine if you had to take off on foot, go 60-mile hike somewhere, and there's all this craziness going on with, a, with that bundle of love there? I mean, you wouldn't, I mean, it's not like you're going to get rid of him because, of it. but you know, it'd be, if you didn't have that, it's, it's, it's a challenge. That's what's going on here. So during the Great Tribulation, there will be an, an exaggerated emphasis upon sex, and obviously immorality will prevail. We already see this ramping up today, right? I mean, we see it. We've seen it for, uh, I, I don't know how long. I don't, I don't know how long. If you went back and studied culture, the way culture is, is changing and the push and the prevalence of, of, of the, making all of these things normal, the normalcy of it. Uh, we see it ramping up today. We're, we're cascading toward any and all sexual perversion being normalized and encouraged throughout our culture. I mean, that's where we're at today. Romans 1.32, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Okay, I mean, that's where we're at today. So it's this absolute uh, 
just free fall morally in our country. I mean, we're watching it right before our eyes. And you probably remember, remember all the debate on gay marriage, right? Y'all remember that? And people were saying, look, this is not about gay marriage. This is all a ploy to get that approved, to open the door for everything else. Pedophilia, man-boy man love, all this perversion, right? And people said, oh, no, no. This is, about, this is about two people who love each other, who should have the right to be married. That's all it is about. That's all it's about. As soon as that went through, what do we see? There's been nothing but a moral decline into absolute degradation in our nation. The things that are being pushed today. I mean, when you have, when you have these perverts dressing as women and doing their little shows in front of children, they ought to be locked up. If you did that in the public school over here, they'd go to jail. But they can do it at a library, invite the public into a bar and do this stuff in front of children? In what world is that not illegal? And it's being pushed, all of that. Whatever you want to be, whatever you want to love. And all of that is going it, it, to be so prevalent. In, it, 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 it is now. You think back, think back to Hollywood. So many of the things that, as you learn history, some of you probably learned some history of Hollywood through the years and, and find out some of the guys that we really looked up to. There's all a lie. Whatever happened to Randolph Scott? You know, what? Yeah. I mean, so they, they hid that because it wasn't acceptable. Today, they're not even hiding it. Today, they're glorying in that. And the culture is glorying in them. Oh, they're a hero. And it's, I, I, I'm not against people. I love people. I want those folks to come to faith in Christ. I want them to go to heaven. I want them, I want them to not spend eternity in hell. But we're the intolerant and we don't love because we speak to truth. That's, where, that's what's going to be prevalent in that day. And these 144,000, they will have kept themselves distant from the sins of the great tribulation, literally and physically. Uh, now, spiritually, looking at this, the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, idolatry was classified as spiritual fornication. You go back and read Ezekiel chapter 16. We find God's uh, severe indictment against Israel for fornication and adultery, which is idolatry. It was the fornication and, and adultery, when he talks about it, was things they did, it was cheating on the Lord. You know, I wonder how many of us are committing adultery because we are absolutely cheating on the Lord with other things in our life. It doesn't mean we're running around on our spouse, but we're committing adultery because we're not walking with God the way we should. We're not walking as close to Him as we should. We're, we're, if, if, if our full devotion is not on Him, it's somewhere else. Look, it'd be easy. I talk about it a lot, but it'd be easy for, for that ball game on Monday night to be an idol for me. I mean, it'd be easy. Oh, but I have friends that, that go to those games. 
They, they spend their money to go to the games. They, they go to their church seven or eight times a year, and they worship their idol. I mean, it's an idol. Heard them saying today about this young man, and they were talking about, you know, it's an amazing thing when something like this happens, the, the, how people turn to sports for their healing. I heard this on the radio. I don't turn to sports for my healing. You know why they turn to their sports for their healing? You know, some of those people that are praying might have been praying to the God of sports, the football God. You know, that's why when you pray, I want, I want to pray. pray to, who are you talking to? Who are you talking to when you pray? Are you talking to Christ? Are you talking, who are you talking to? Because God is very genetic, and I pray to the Lord God. But I'm going to pray in the name of Jesus. He's my Savior. You know, right? I'm going I'm to pray to the God of the Bible. Not, that's why when it's a generic prayer, and you know, in your name. Well, whose name? Whose name are you praying in? Who did you, who did you address when you started the prayer? Father God, God Almighty, Yahweh? Who, who are you praying to? Because there's a lot of this, this idolatry. Okay, so we saw in the Old Testament, we see it today. We see the idolatry today. And so the sin of the earth dwellers in that day will be spiritual fornication. They'll be cheating. They'll be, they'll, be, they'll be worshiping everything and serving everything spiritually but the Lord God. Revelation 14, 8 says, And another angel followed, saying, Babylon has fallen, has fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The world will fornicate. They will cheat with Babylon. They will be involved with Babylon, so entrenched with Babylon, this system of Babylon. James 4, 4, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Do we really believe that? We, we, we become today, you know, if we're going to become a peculiar. That's an easy word, a peculiar people. If we're going to be a peculiar people, doesn't that, it's different. It means different, right? We're, we're different. We're, we should be different than the rest of the world. Um, I, w- I don't want to be so weird that I don't have a chance to, it doesn't mean weird. Peculiar means special. Called out by God, it's his people. But we should be different. If, if the outside world looks at you and doesn't see anything different in your life than everybody else, that they know that's not a Christian? Are we, are we really living out a true faith? Are we living out our faith? If we're more concerned with being friends with the world, and that's what happens today, and I'm convinced of this, that for a lot of people, this attitude of, well, I just want to be out there because I, I want to reach the world. You know, it's this, they, they, they use Paul, I became all things to all people, so it's them out there, you know, Paul, my dad used to tell me this. He said, you know, Jesus hung out with the sinners. I said, yeah, Dad, but he wasn't belly up at the bar with them. That's not, that's not don't, don't make that what that is. It's not. He's not out sinning with the sinners. He ministered to the, the lost. He loved the lost. He, but he didn't capitulate to their sin. He didn't, he didn't even say it was okay. The woman caught in adultery. He didn't say what she did was okay. What did he tell her? Nobody Go and sin no more. That's exactly right. He, he commanded her to have a different life. It was He didn't just allow her to just go and continue the way she was before she met him. 
You know, we, we, we can't be so in love with this world and then excuse it as, well, I'm just trying to win the world. You want to win the world? Be different. That's what's going to win the world. Who, who, if, if, and some of you have experienced this. In your workplace, if you're different, if you're the Christian, you're the one, you're the one they're going to ask questions to. I'm, I'm, I'm building a relationship with my chiropractor. I have to be careful because you don't, the guy that's twisting your head funny. You know, you, you want to be careful what you say, you know, and how you approach it. But you know where he's at now? This is amazing. We're building a, we're building a relationship, and he's asking, he's asking me questions. So he asked me the other day, he said, hey, I, I got a question. The guy was telling me, he said, you know, he's been praying about a situation, and he said, he said um, this guy said that he just keeps praying and keeps praying and keeps praying about it. He said, I don't understand that. He said, you know, I think God knows everything, so if I, if I pray and tell him about it, then why do I have to bring it back up? And I said, well, that's a good point. I said, the fact is, I've thought the very same thing. God knows. I said, but the principle is there in Scripture. And the Bible makes it very clear to us to bring our request to Him, to continue in prayer, ceaselessly, ceaselessly praying. You know, don't stop praying. There's the, the, the stories of those who prayed, and they prayed, they came, and they came, and they came, until they said, give her what she wants. The principle is we pray, and we, and, we, and we go to the Lord and ask. And when the Lord reveals his will to us, then we shut up and we say, yes, Lord. Amen? But until then, we bring our request. So we're having, we're having those spiritual conversations. And, it, and, it, and it's interesting. Again, when a guy's got your head like this. Y'all pray for that situation. But... But I promise you, he's not asking that question to the guy that comes in and cussing his head off. He don't care what that guy has to say about that. So be different. Be different because those people will seek you out. You're the weird Christian. They know you're the Christian in the job, in the workplace. When mom's got cancer, who are they going to come to and ask them to pray? They're going to come to you. So be different. Be different. All right, these guys, these 144, they're marked with their father's name and not the name of the beast. These believing Jews will be spiritually separated and dedicated wholly to Christ. The 144,000 also have kept themselves from the worship of the beast and his image during the Great Depression or the Great uh, Tribulation. I got GT there. How do I get Great Depression out of that? It will be, but it's the Great Tribulation. Um, they kept themselves separate. So we see something about their character. These guys, they, they walked with the Lord. So these are the ones who were, in verse 4, were not defiled with women for they are virgins. Probably refers to chastity in both the literal sense and the spiritual sense. They, they didn't, they didn't uh, defile themselves in any way against the Lord. And they didn't defile themselves in any way in the physical, the physical or the spiritual. And so in the literal sense and the spiritual sense, this is speaking of chastity, and that just makes good sense to this verse, okay? Verse 5, And in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. So the question that, that I thought of as I'm, as I'm writing that, they are without fault. They've come through the, the great tribulation, and it says that they are without fault before the throne of God. So are they without fault because they have been purified by the great tribulation? No. They are without fault because they are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Amen? See, that's the way that they're saved. They're saved the same way that I'm saved. I've been saved by grace. They were saved by grace. And I hope tonight that you've been saved by God's grace. Because that's the way... 
Well, we, we all, we all get there. Okay, uh, point two. Verses, this will be looking at verses uh, 6 through 13. We'll probably just get through 6 and 7 and we'll wrap up tonight. But this is, we're going to see some angels here and each angel has a special announcement. So verse, point two would be the pouring out of the vials of wrath. The pouring out of the vials of wrath. A is proclamation of the everlasting gospel, verse 6 and 7. Then I saw another angel, another angel. Okay, verse 6. And I saw another angel. Um, Saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and uh, springs of water. Another angel. This, and so right now we're going to see another radical change in protocol of God's communication with the earth. We're going to see a change here. And so this is the first of six another angels. So we see one here. We have this in verse 5. We have one in verses 8 and 9. You got in verse 15 and verse 17 and 18. We're going to see another angel. Today God uses people to give his message, but in, the last, in that last period of judgment, he will also use angels to give his message. Um, at the beginning of the Great Tribulation, men are the messengers of God, as we, as we saw with the 144,000 when they were revealed. Uh, even the two witnesses with supernatural power could not stand up against Satan, but were removed from the satanic scene on earth. And angels as well as men were the messengers in the Old Testament. When you look in the Old Testament, they, angels brought messages. They brought words to, to man. That has not been the case in, in the church age, in, in this, this age. Man is the preacher. Man is the one that is, we have the responsibility of proclaiming that truth. But, but angels in the Old Testament did, and they're going to in the Great Tribulation. Angels will bring the message again. Uh, Hebrews 2.2 2 says, For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and, even and, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward. Just speaking of the angels bringing that message. The times are so intense in the great tribulation period that only angels can get the messages of God through to the world. That's how bad it's going to get. It's going to get to a time where the, the, the only ones that can get that is angels. And angels are indestructible. So, you know, where man would, would be prohibited, the angels would not be. Verse 6, then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven. Here again, the angel whom John saw will serve as a broadcasting station to the, other, to the entire world. Now, one of the commentaries I was reading he talked about this here, that, that th this will be broadcast to the whole world. So this angel who's flying in the midst of heaven, and we see here he makes this great proclamation to the whole world. So he made an argument that this could actually be um, talking about in this low orbit, I don't know. It could be even technology, that, that the way that the angel is working in that, that it's going to communicate to the entire world this message. Now, I don't know how, what that looks like. I don't know if the angel is going to have others that are with him or if just him speaking it, it'll be heard worldwide. But, but, but there was a time where we couldn't even understand something being out in the atmosphere. Now we've got... Man, we've got, we're in Florida. We see rockets go up constantly with satellites going into low Earth orbit. This angel is going to be in low Earth orbit communicating to the entire world this message. Having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tribe tongue, and people. 
uh, saying with a loud voice again, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him who made heaven and earth and sea and the springs of, and springs of water. The gospel, the word gospel means good news, right? So he has the everlasting gospel. That's what he's proclaiming. It means good news. So how can that message be good news? Well, if you're a child of God, that's a great message. Amen? It's bad news for those who are unbelievers. But the good news is this seems to be the last chance that these people have. Even in the final moments of, of, of time, before it is done and sealed, God is still casting a net. He's still giving people an opportunity. And, and, and so the message is there. The message is there. Uh, fear God. So fear God is the message of this eternal gospel. And, 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 and so that's the message. Psalm 111 verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, a good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And how many times do you see people who have no regard for God? They have no fear of the Almighty. Uh, they, they fear a man or they fear a situation and they have total disregard for the one who made the man they fear or the situation they fear or the animal they fear or the disease they fear or whatever it is they fear and they don't fear God Almighty. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's where it starts, is having an understanding of who God is. The angel is, is saying, in effect, get wise, get smart, because you need to fear God. God saves you by His grace. If they're alive at this point, it is only because of God's grace that they're alive at this point. Not speaking that they've been saved spiritually, but they've been saved at this point physically, uh, but He's going to judge this earth. This is their last chance to get right with God, and it is put out there. So this is God's final call before the return of Christ in judgment. Yeah, good spot right there. All right, any, any comments, feedback? A lot, a lot of stuff in that, in those few verses tonight. And we'll finish up in 14 next week, and then I will be in Israel and Brother Todd Brain is going to... So, Todd, you know where to pick up now. You'll be in verse 15, uh, chapter 15. 15. I'm gonna, I'm, we'll finish up 14. Sure, we'll finish up 14 next week. Yep. Just perversion of the Scriptures... Yeah, I don't know how they got to that, but they, they did. It's almost like those are the only ones that are going to be saved, and, but they don't believe that anymore. They, they've, ref, they've refined their, their doctrinal beliefs because they're past 144,000 now in, in their followers. So they did. They did think that, and they thought it was works-based. So it may still be, in their opinion. They may, may be still what they're thinking. So I'm going to knock on, I'm going to knock on more doors than anybody else because... If, if I want to be, I'm going to be in that top, you know, you don't want to be 144,001, you know, that's not the place to be. But that's, they've just perverted scripture, what they've done a lot. There's a lot of rewriting scripture. It's funny, though, you can take a Jehovah's Witness Bible, you can take them to verses that they have not changed that will point them right to Christ. They go, oh.
Well, usually what's happened is they've, they've kind of been indoctrinated with a few verses and then sent out. And so they don't know the scriptures. So even you take the scripture and show them, and they, oh, yeah, well, I believe that, but I, I, I can't explain it. But they've been, and it really is, a, it's a brainwashing. We're not in here brainwashing you guys. You, we, you know, we want, I want you reading the Word of God. Oh, yeah, you need spiritual brain, spiritual washing, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let the, that's what, that's what uh, be not conformed to this, this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind through the Word of God, yeah. yeah that's how we transform, is by the renewing of our minds, and it's through the, the Word of God that that happens. Yeah, it's a brainwashing there, the right kind. All right, anybody else? Anthony? Thanks for being here, man. Did your, did your wife cook, cook you a good dinner tonight? No, sir. Was that, did, you did call me, didn't you? Okay. It's, uh, I, somebody called. How'd you get my cell number? What's that? You found it online? Oh, Lord. Yeah, I thought of it after I hung up. I went, wait, that was my cell. How did, how did somebody have my cell number? That's all right. I don't mind. Lisa, I'm killing a little time because we got a couple minutes. Lisa, y'all remember Lisa, um, our secretary. When I first got here, she, she wouldn't give my number to nobody. She wouldn't, she wouldn't give out my email.